1: Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time we gather for a spiritual conversation and enlightening guests and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason and I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Anybody who's paying attention to the news, anybody who's reading anything, anyone who's listening to conversations, anybody who is awake in the, in the slightest, is aware that we are now in a time when we are doing tremendous violence to ourselves, to each other, and to the earth. Why do we do that? What's behind that? Peacemaker and psychologist Scott Brown is here today. He's written a new book called Active Peace, and it explores these questions and it opens up new practices to help us restore balance and to move toward creating a nonviolent world. Scott teaches that our belief in separateness is the root cause of this violence, this crisis, this this disconnection. Are you ready to meet him? Visionary peacemaker Scott Brown has applied his skills as a restorative justice facilitator and program coordinator, a divorce mediator, a wilderness rites of passage guide, a meditation instructor, and as a mentor to youth both in and out of the criminal justice system. Scott worked for more than 15 years on the front lines of environmental activism as a campaigner with organizations including Greenpeace, the Idaho Conservation League, and the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. He's the founder of Active Peace LLC and co-founder of the Colorado Center for Restorative Practices. Now, you can find out more about Scott and his work at 4activepeace.com. And listen, that's the number 4 and then activepeace.com. Scott, welcome to Out of the Fog.
2: Thank you, Karen. It's so great to be with you.
1: It's wonderful. Now, you're in the middle of a of a book tour, aren't you? I'm on the road, too. I'm in San Francisco teaching and working there. Are you? Aren't you on the road as well?
2: I am on the road. I've only recently started a 50 city book tour that I kicked off in Ketchum, Idaho, and I'm currently in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, working my way up to Sandpoint, Idaho, and then to points, points onward from there.
1: Wow, fifty cities, that's a dedication to your message and to the project and the right? You, wow, you're on the road, you're really doing it. So what is it that inspired you to, to write the book and to mm, to bring this deep commitment to the message of the book?
2: Well, I lived this question for a really long time. The question of why? Why are we doing so much violence to each other, ourselves, and the earth? I, I asked that question for over 20 years to myself. I asked it during a career as a professional activist. Never got a good answer. And about 10 years ago, uh, the answer finally started to dawn on me that the root cause of our collective crisis as well as so much of our personal suffering, is this belief in separateness, this deep wound, this part of the dominant worldview that we're embedded in in our culture. it it doesn't discriminate. It impacts all of us on to differing degrees. And that just felt like a very profound insight to me. And I've really dedicated my life to, exploring the belief in separateness and how to heal it and I'm uh, I, I wrote the book and taking that message on the road was the next step.
1: It seems to me that as we as we feel into that belief what you call that illusion of separateness and as we live it and form our relationships in that way and as we teach it to our children and as we do business with each other and make love to each other and you know as as we go on and on the longer we hold that illusion that belief the less able we are to do anything about it because it feels to me like it has a kind of a degrading effect on Mm. our ability to connect does that does that resonate with you? It's it's upsetting because it feels like the more we're in this, the harder it is to get out of it.
2: It is. As I was writing the book, I, I refer to a lot of vicious cycles where, for example, we, we kind of start out with a, we may not start out that way right from birth, but we learn a kind of numbness toward our relationship to the earth, a kind of disconnection. We, we learn it and it gets more and more deeply ingrained. That leads us to doing violence to the earth, which leads to more numbness in this vicious cycle. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of vicious cycles in play in, our, in the interpersonal realm, in activism, in the way we treat the earth. Yeah, that that resonates with me a lot.
1: And there's that idea, maybe, that if I look at the problem and then I go, I can't possibly fix that, that even that my attitude, I can't possibly fix that, is part of that belief of of separateness, this is something other than me. this is something outside of me, and I suppose I could do something about it, but it's going to be too hard. And so it's easier for me to go back into my way of um, my what has become my normal way of being in relationship with myself and the earth and the divine.
2: Mm-hmm. That's why it felt so important to me to to take the to take the path as i I discovered this path of healing. The belief in separateness, and it really, the the foundations of that are mindfulness, healing the relationship to self through self-awareness, through greater and greater self-understanding, self-compassion, taking that then into the realm of healing our relationship to the earth through mindfulness practices, through nature-based practices. Then with that foundation of health and resilience that comes through that self-knowing and that connection to the earth that's always there. We're always supported by the earth with every breath. Taking that into the challenging territory of interpersonal relationships, and I write about very practical interpersonal skills and tools, and then ultimately bringing it into the realm of activism what i call restorative activism because as you say we're not separate from what's happening in the world we're not separate from that suffering we're not separate from the destruction of of the natural world and so we can deny that we can turn away from it but that has implications that has ripple effects turning toward it and facing it also has has implications, but I so believe that in our day and age, engaging in social change, in activism, in whatever way is is ours, our ours to do, our calling. It doesn't have to be grandiose, but something is a part of what it means to be a mature human being in the year 2016, fully functioning, empowered, and it's not a linear process. We don't have to, to be enlightened and perfect meditators, as if there is such a thing, before we can engage in interpersonal relationships or activism. That, that's ridiculous. The world doesn't work that way. So there's a way that all of those four areas interpenetrate and, I think, form a really powerful path of healing and restoration. Do you believe that it is our
1: natural state, our first state, kind of our birthright, to be aware that we are part of that connection? Because if, that, if that's true, it makes me wonder how this illusion got started. How did we get into this mess in the first place?
2: Well, I do think it's our birthright. I think a lot of people argue that we come into the world as babies and there is that, that merging. There is that kind of oneness that, that is there. And we we learn that that is not the way to succeed in the world. Sure. We learn it over time. It, it arose because it's a part of the worldview, I believe. And I trace it in the book back about 10,000 years ago to the time when agriculture was had taken root across the, the the civilized world and that also happens to be when the very first evidence of warfare shows up 10,000 years ago so wow. that's a long time and i believe it started very subtly and slowly this belief that certain species are good, the ones that we eat, the animals the animals that we domesticate, certain species are bad, weed species that compete with our domesticated crops, predators that kill our domesticated animals. So a subtle shift in the psyche started to happen and that just steamrolled and then I write about certain Christian beliefs in separateness. It's easy to argue that certain Christian beliefs are really all about separation. The human from God, men from women, Christians from non-Christians. The, the devil has something separate from our own psyche, uh, humans separate from the earth. It kind of goes on and on. And that started to give separateness a kind of legitimacy and a, f- a kind of official sanction. And then uh, finally, I write about the scientific revolution as the time when the mind became elevated over everything else, when what could be seen and measured was Elevated above the unseen and the mystical, the spiritual, and that really kind of kind of engraved it. And that's our legacy. And so, it, like I said earlier, the belief in separateness doesn't discriminate. We all suffer from it. So it's not another excuse to finger point and <laughs> feel superior. And that's really an important point. There's yeah. something very humbling about embracing this particular path. And I think that's very important in, our, in the challenging times that we live in. To so the extent that we project all of the insanity and violence in the world onto particular people or particular yeah. industries, we don't do anything constructive. That's wasted energy because the insanity is all around us we're embedded in it we we are of it and so the healing and the transformation that needs to happen it really it, it yes it has to start with us but it really has to not end there and like i say it's not a linear process either there's there's this interpenetration of the personal and the political for example
0: mhm
1: that's an interesting point because that means that i can't say i know the illusion of separatist separateness is wrong and you don't and therefore you are right you can (laughs) you could go on and on like that and never and never get anywhere so that's a i think that's a really good point that you're making there's a kind of a responsibility that comes when you start to think this way not only a like a my personal responsibility, the choices that I make, the judgments that I make, let's say, about people, even if I haven't said anything about loud, uh, out loud, the judgments I make about myself and my own relationship with the divine, and right then through to how am I in my personal relationships, how am I on the planet, and then how am I about speaking out for change in the, in the world? There's a responsibility that comes with this. You're right. It isn't just finger-pointing.
2: Right. Mm-mm understanding and appreciating our context as human beings and people interested in doing our part to create a better world is really important. And I find myself talking a lot about it on the road that there's this tendency having written a book that has a lot of, a lot of stuff in it to download a whole bunch of information on people, but that can't happen in a one hour book talk or a three hour workshop. What I emphasize is this context, and I start with talking about our spiritual context. When I was an activist, I didn't pay any attention to my spiritual essence as a human being. I I didn't know it as an intellectual concept. I didn't know it as a felt experience. I was too busy trying to save the world and heal myself that way but as i've as i've studied and felt into this and practiced that just has come to feel like the most profound resource that we have is an appreciation and a felt experience of our spiritual nature as human beings it's that transpersonal awareness awareness beyond the personal beyond the limited sense of self and if you think about it that's what gave gandhi and martin luther king and the freedom riders and all of gandhi's followers the courage and the compassion to face the violence to face possible death because they knew that there was something bigger in play than just themselves and that is where evolution is calling us if we if we don't Expand the sense of self beyond the personal and the ego and a limited sense of self. We're going to continue to prioritize ourselves. We're going to continue to consume. We're going to continue as Americans to insist on having the largest military and getting what we want in the world at a, in a time of scarcer and scarcer resources. That's a frightening proposition. The other piece of context is the healing context that we're all in recovery from Western civilization. We're <laughs> all in recovery. I mean, not people that live in the West, but there's a, there's a book by cellist Glenn, Glenn Dinning called, hi, my name's Chellis, and I'm in recovery from Western civilization and That's she's an right. eco psychologist. And so it it is also about this, this kind of, um, this kind of teaching around separateness and that healing context can really help us be with people and engage in interpersonal relationships, engage with our organizations in a way that's transformative. That isn't the, the savior complex. We have to go forth and save the world. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. It's much more humble and true than that. It, it's grounded in the truth of our, of our woundedness and our embedded, embeddedness in the insanity. And then the third stream of the context that I talk about is the state of the world. And in that, I talk not only about the crisis and the violence, but also the truth of the opportunity and the nonviolence that's mm. in the world. Gandhi taught us that if love and nonviolence was not our basic nature as human beings, we would have destroyed ourselves a long time ago. And it makes sense. As bad as things seem, it could be a whole lot worse. We could not be here already. And so holding that paradox, the light and the dark, the, the beauty and the delight and the devastation and the destruction, because that's truth. That's our reality. It's not, it's not just black and white. Paradox is what holds the world together really the the light and the dark the summer and the winter these these polarities these contrasting energies and so embracing that just feels like an absolute foundation to active peace to a path of of healing and contributing what the world really needs right now you know it needs it needs our ability to see clearly and be in our hearts, even while we hold people accountable for the harm they cause. We can do both.
0: Hmm.
1: It, I'm feeling, as you're saying that, Scott, the way in which that, it feels to me like there are maybe some who want to promote, continue to promote that belief in separateness, that illusion of separateness, because that belief and that the the outcome, the consequences of that, sometimes profit some groups of people while they keep other groups of people in a place where they feel like they have no voice and so one of the challenges about stepping out of that illusion may be not only that that we need to we have an opportunity here to find our own voices but also that there may be some resistance or some pushback from from uh, groups or societies or cultures or political systems or whatever that seem to be benefiting from the perpetuation of this belief.
2: Absolutely. We don't, it won't serve us to be naive about um, how a message like this is going to be received in certain circles or that even will be. Certainly separateness is kind of what politics revolves around in our country right now. Good mm-hmm. people, bad people, good ideas, bad ideas, um, good countries, bad countries, allies and enemies. And that it's deep. It's deep. And the, there's a whole economy based around separateness with, you know, the earth continuing to be our garbage dump and other countries as these shadow economies for us because we're number one. We're going to make sure we control those resources. And especially as push comes to shove, we're going to make sure we're in place to get what we as Americans need. So absolutely, it's a deep path. The peacemaker path has always been the most challenging path. We know what happened to Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Jesus. Um, you know, they they were killed for it. and it's it is deep work. and it's I think it's where evolution is calling us. I, the The subtitle of the book, uh, "A Mindful Path to a Nonviolent World." you know that can sound so far out and extreme. And yet if if we are going to survive, as a species living well into the future for the next several generations, it's pretty clear that that's the direction we have to move in. And I really, I I, I feel like it's powerful to name violence as the primary symptom of the belief in separateness that all of these other issues that we're concerned about climate change and war and racism and increasing disparity between rich and poor, as I see it, those are all symptoms of the belief in separateness and all symptoms of of violence, a kind of violence. And so I, I look at the path as really being one of restoration and healing the insanity in the world that arises from the belief in separateness. The root meaning of the word insane is not whole, and so that's, that's everywhere in our world. That's our predicament, and to appreciate that there's no quick fix, that there's no guaranteed outcome, to me that's humbling, and to me that helps me prioritize my heart. And my love mm-hmm. and my compassion prioritize relationships because every day matters. Every day is precious. We think we know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we don't. We don't know that. And so, being in that, not knowing, cultivating that openness is is a big part of what um, the book is about and what the, the path of active peace is about.
1: Oh. This is beautiful. Now, I love that subtitle that it is a mindful path to a nonviolent world because to me that suggests that all I need to do is slow down and pay attention and take one and take one step at a time. I, lo- I welcome that, uh, the, that mindfulness, because to me, that's the, that's the only way in when we try to create that change from somehow outside ourselves or somehow magically calling up some resources, nothing happens that way. It creates more separateness. And so to me, that mindful path to peace is a is a beautiful thing you know the clock has caught us darn it um so we're at the bottom of the hour you're listening to out of the fog with karen hager my guest is scott brown and we're talking about his new book active peace a mindful path to a Nonviolent world when we come back after this short break i want to talk to scott a little bit more about what a peacemaker is and how we as people who are beginning to embrace that mindful path to peace can take practical action to begin to shift ourselves and our world We'll be right back
0: after this. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org. And after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the Instado. Just imagine, you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side. Then you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's this helmet thing, and it fits over your head, and it's for... Thank you, fun. Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on
2: the radio now anything's possible keep thinking get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation and the Ad Council I'm home and I love it
0: I'm home where I belong I'm home and I love it I'm home i home it's always nice to come home but these days many americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes fortunately help is available making home affordable is a free program from the u.s government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners and we want to help you i'm home i'm home and i love it i'm home Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards, and squirrels, and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes. That one. The free to be me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org, a public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. Empowerradio.com.
1: Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Scott Brown. His new book is Active Peace, A Mindful Path to a Nonviolent World. And you can find out more about Scott and his work at foractivepeace.com. That's the number four, activepeace.com. There are a lot of resources there for you. There's a a free gift waiting for you there as well. That's at foractivepeace.com. And, of course, I welcome your questions your comments your musings about what you are hearing on today's show is there a call in you do you discern a call in you away from separateness toward a greater connection are you in a place now where you are ready to open to um, hungry for greater spiritual connection greater connection with others greater connection with the planet that sustains you. I'd love to hear about your experience. And of course, you can always reach me through my uh, email. It's probably the best way to get me. That email address is karen, K-A-R-E-N, at karenhager.com. And karenhager.com, of course, is my website. Find out more about what's coming up on the show and all that good stuff. Scott, before we went to the break, we were kind of dipping in a little bit to something that's fascinating to me. I'm interested to know what you mean when you say... Peacemaker, because as, as I'm understanding your work, we have there are all different ways of being a peacemaker, and each of us may be called to be a peacemaker in our own way. So, what do you mean when you say peacemaker?
2: Well, Karen, I'd like to tie that question into something that came up for me before the break as you were talking, as you mm-hmm. were talking about the, the subtitle of the book, A Mindful Path to a Nonviolent World. You made a comment that suggested that there's something really inherently I, I guess I would say easy. that wasn't your word, but natural about cultivating that nonviolence. And it's really important, and it's really an essential characteristic of a peacemaker in our day and age to get that. And it also speaks to why mindfulness is such a foundation. so, There's this paradox on a personal level that on the one hand, we are already perfectly healthy and whole, we're resilient, and we're beautiful just as we are. On the other hand, so many of us have a sense, a longing for greater peace in our lives, more ease, coming more from the heart more resilient. So there's this paradox. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness allows us to not only hold that paradox, but to really appreciate that we are already whole, just as we are. It's it's the mind and the thinking that tells us otherwise. And so it is an incredible, the path is It's not easy in the sense that it doesn't take any work, but it's not a relentless workout. It it is a relax. You use the word relaxation, I believe. And that's exactly what it is. It's a relaxing into our truth, into what's true. It's the same with our relationship to the natural world, which I put a lot of emphasis on deepening that relationship to the world. What? the practice is, is making that conscious because we're already as deeply embedded in the earth as we're ever going to be. There was never a nanosecond where we weren't intimately tied to the earth. The problem is we're not consciously aware of it. And so the practice is just to bring that conscious awareness to our own experience, Our own healing, our minds, settling that monkey mind, deepening in a conscious way our relationship to the natural world, bringing that into our relationships with other people, into the interpersonal realm, and then bringing it into activism. And that is the calling of the peacemaker. That's my feeling, is that that is really the path it doesn't mean we have to do anything grandiose but we need to play our part and we need to attend to i think those areas of life to to really be able to offer what the world most needs right now it really needs our presence and our honesty and our authenticity and our practice practicing and doing that together we are so not designed to do this journey of life alone. Yeah. And we're so not able to heal our society and our systems alone. We need each other more than ever. And so I think all of that speaks to the peacemaker's path. And there's, there's three capacities that I talk about cultivating, and it's the very last section of the book and everything that has come before the nature-based practices the mindfulness practices the interpersonal they feed these qualities these capacities the first one is not knowing appreciating the truth of how much we don't know and allowing that to open our hearts and our minds so that we can really see reality just as it is instead of our our judgments of it and layering over our, our perceptions and our wants, but just to see how things really are, that not knowing. Hard for the activist who often thinks that it's her or his job to know what's right, to know what's wrong and to fix it. And the fact is we've never been where we are as human beings we've never been in a predicament like this before. And so not knowing really to me is is a basic kind of a truth telling. The other quality is bearing witness. To be able to bear witness to everything that's happening in the world again not only the the crisis and the destruction, but also to be able to see the beauty that is still in the world that's everywhere around us, the nonviolence that's everywhere around us, the love and the care. Those qualities feed the third, which is compassionate action, so that when we do respond, we do so with an open heart and an open mind. And that is what brings into the world what's most needed. And as I said before, we can still hold people accountable for the harm they cause. We can still be activists. We can still have opinions. It's not like we don't know anything anymore, but we bring a different energy into our, our lives and our work and the world when we cultivate these these qualities of the peacemaker. And one of the things I like to talk about is transforming activism into peacemaking Mm -hmm. because a lot of activism today doesn't feel to me like peacemaking because it still revolves around this kind of belief in separateness, us versus them. Mm -hmm. And, but we can still be activists and be peacemakers. And to me, that's, that's transformative. That's, that's humanity evolving to the next phase in an engaged in an engaged way
1: and it opens up it seems to me to open up a new way of thinking about how we make change because if the old way is finger pointing and shouting no matter whose side you're on right or if the old way whatever that is that's one way of trying to make change but what Feels to me, Scott, like what you're talking about is opening up a much different, more heart connected way of making change. Not that when you step out of that illusion of separateness that all of a sudden everything's one big mushy unicorn and you have no, it sounds like I, I can keep my discernment. I can keep my awareness. It's just that I can feel into that, use those gifts in a, in a different way. Right. So all connected doesn't mean we all just went all boneless and squishy, right?
2: That's my experience of it. Yeah. The taste, the tastes of um, the transpersonal, the tastes of non-duality that I've experienced. Yeah, it actually opens my heart and increases my compassion yeah. and care for the world. It doesn't wow. minimize it. It doesn't numb it. Um, oh, I love it, that, it and it's—I—I it feel like
1: that's important for people to hear. Sorry, I got all excited, mm, but I, <laughs> I think that's important for people to hear because there's an idea sometimes that when you're practicing the spiritual path, that you go in a room by yourself and you sit very, very quietly until a light bulb goes off, and then you're ding, all done. And that's not what the spiritual path is.
2: I don't think so. I mean, that may have worked for a few people but I don't think it works. <laughs> we don't know don't they're still in the room for very waiting many. for their timers you know, to the go old, off. We don't old, know yet. Old, <laughs> you know, the old saying, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Um, so, yeah, I I think, especially in our day and age, you know, it may not have been so in the time of Jesus or the Buddha, but I think spirituality and a path of maturation, which I talk about a lot. I I think there's some benefit in talking about our developments, our evolution as a process of maturation and appreciating that in our day and age, if that's not engaged in politics and systems, change then there's something really missing there there's something really missing and you know everybody may not feel like they need that and the last thing i want to do is is shame and should should people into thinking they need to do more in the world that's not the right energy to come from but i think when we get quiet enough when we practice mindfulness when we practice the path that we're outlining here, there's a very organic longing that arises to do our part, whatever it is. It's connected to our sense of purpose and meaning and our deep love for the world. It's not our anger that fuels us as activists. It is our deep, deep love and care for the world and what we're talking about connects us to that love and from there we can move in a in a different way in a way that's really fueled by a clean burning energy a sustainable energy a healthy energy
1: can you say a little bit about meditation as as one of the practices that I really resonate with what you're saying about that hunger for connection, that shift of perspective that takes us back to that awareness that we have never, ever been out of connection. Can you say a little bit about meditation and maybe even a little about your practice, if you want to share, to help listeners understand that that quiet can actually be the source of great action?
2: Yeah, I will. I, I tend to speak more generally about mindfulness. Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. As kind of the the bigger umbrella, and meditation as as a set of practices under that bigger umbrella of mindfulness. And one thing I like to say about that is that the experience of interbeing, which is a word I use a lot in the book, a word coined by the Buddhist peacemaker Thich Nhat Hanh, interbeing. It 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 feels deeper to me than the word interrelatedness that and because and it's the truth we 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 already inter are with each other and the world and those experiences of that of how we already are so deeply interconnected those can smack us in the face a thousand times a day but if we're not paying attention we're not going to notice. And so the the whole path as i referred to earlier is really about noticing, noticing what's already there, what's already true. And that's mindfulness, paying attention in a conscious way to our own experience and at the same time to what our engagement in the world, what's what's in front of us right now with this other person or this other species, this predicament, whatever it is, this piece of work that we're doing, we can attend to both our inner experience of that, what's alive in the body, and this other thing out there because there really is no distinction, there really is no separation between the inner and the outer. Meditation is simply, as I see it, is simply a very powerful and profound practice of being still. Sitting still often doesn't, you don't have to be sitting to meditate, but it is a very direct way of confronting, confronting is not the right word, being with the thoughts and the reactivity and the habitual responses to make peace with that and with ourselves as a foundation for our healing. And so it's, it's a powerful practice. I, I don't think people have to be meditators to be peacemakers, but it's a powerful practice. And to the extent that we see the peacemaker's path as a path of practice, Definitely one to consider and, um, yeah, take, take seriously. My own practice is really more around mindfulness, trying to be consciously aware of whatever's happening in the moment. I I go to in the nature a lot, you know, even in the neighborhood and just really try to get outside myself and to connect with other species the sky the clouds the earth and just really feel notice how that impacts me the relaxation that comes the resilience that comes and doing that again and again and again as a part of my healing and as a part of as a part of my own peacemaker journey practicing that and 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 bringing it into interpersonal relationships, just that noticing the habitual responses, the reactiveness, the autopilot, and trying consciously to do something different to do to keep my heart open and move from a more vulnerable place, a less defended place because defensiveness never works anyway that's another vicious cycle that we could talk about it it just creates the need for more defensiveness because it doesn't work and so bringing bringing mindfulness conscious awareness into really all aspects of life that that's that's the path
1: as you are on this tour and, and bringing uh, the tools and the teachings of this book, After Peace, to people, what kinds of questions are people asking you? What are, what are people, do people seem to be most concerned about or most engaged with as you go from place to place? You've got a bird's eye view now on a, a, a section of the, of the country just through your traveling around.
2: I'm getting it. I'm going to get it a lot more. I'm going to be on the road for another four months. Golly. So, um, yeah, but you can imagine a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to politics right now, Mm -hmm. U.S. politics. And a lot of people want to know what I would say to Donald Trump, for example. What do I you know, what do I think about him? How does a peacemaker respond to that level of insanity? And so I usually, I have to take a deep breath and I have to say, I don't know how I would respond in the moment as I was sitting down with Donald Trump, as if that would ever happen. Mm. But I well can imagine that the productive way to approach something like that would be to remember the words of An ancient by the name of Philo of Alexandria, at least how that's how we know him today. And this is the quote I I really use more than any other. And it's very simple. He said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Mm -hmm. So again, he's reminding us of our healing. Even back in his day, he was Aware that we were in a healing context, that we were all wounded by the belief in separateness um, is how I I understand it. And so I would want to keep that quote in mind as I met, even with a Donald Trump. And I would also want to remember the principles and practices of restorative justice that we can, and I, I do, I repeat this, we can hold people accountable for the harm they cause and still approach them and our work with an open heart. So, you know, I don't know what I would say to Donald Trump, but I do think that it would be good if he would be held accountable for the harm that he's already causing all of the ripple effects of his, of his rhetoric. And so I, I address that with people. Um, and I don't want to leave them with the, the feeling that the peacemaker is all about Kumbaya. because <laughs> the, it's, the calling is much deeper than that. We have, we have, ser- we're in a serious predicament. Yeah. And So, as I talk to people about this idea of of holding the context, spiritual context, healing context, state of the world context, including the beauty and the wonder that's in the world, I feel a relaxation. I can see it. They relax a little bit. When I talk about the need to grieve better in our culture, we don't do grief very well, and there's so much to grieve in our world, especially if we're practicing mindfulness, seeing clearly, not separating, not numbing, bearing witness to what's happening in the world. How can we, how can we go on functioning if we don't take the time to grieve? And so I talk about the importance of that. I touch on it in the workshops. I talk about the need for support. People want fixes. You know, they want the solution. And there isn't one where I like the word predicament because it suggests that this isn't a problem with an answer you know it's a it's a situation that we've never been in before and nobody knows nobody knows the answer we're going to have to live into a life affirming way or at least make a make a our best effort at that together open minded open heartedly and interpersonally <laughs> practicing and putting into the world the life-affirming energy that that is so needed right now it's it's not more blame shame and resentment and fear right um
1: so can you please share that's with those learned. that's
2: what i've learned so far
1: can you share with the listeners please your website? Because when they want to keep learning with you, when they want to follow you in your work, can you let them know what's available on your website and how they can get in touch with you? Because you're right, we're nowhere near done. It's a journey, right? And although we're out of time in, in this hour, I'd love to know how we can follow you, how we can find out more.
2: Great. Well, the website itself for activefeast.com has a has a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, people can read the introduction to the book. They can read advanced praise. I have some experiential exercises on the book. Increasingly, I have um, podcasts and interviews on the website. I co-host a podcast back in Boulder with my good friend, John Earhart. We call it Restoration Dialogues. There are links to that. And I outline the path on there. I, I talk about healing the relationship to self through mindfulness, healing the relationship to nature through nature-based practices, interpersonal skills and tools, and restorative activism. So all of that is on there. Uh, there's a blog. And if people want to stay connected while I'm on the road, and I, I so welcome that. I so I, I so kind of live for the, the support and the, the feelings of resonance that I hear from people. On right on the home page, people can sign up. Click the button, you get that free gift you mentioned. It's a it's a relationship interpersonal relationship workbook. I call it the relationship roadmap. And that's the list I'm using as I send out updates. I have really limited time to blog and write because I'm still organizing the tour mm-hmm. as I'm doing the tour. But it, to the extent that I do that, those are the folks that I, I'm reaching out to as a priority.
1: Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. What, a, it, what fun to hear your path and your wisdom and to get some of this insight from you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Karen. I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, good. Me too. That is Scott Brown. His new book is Active Peace, A Mindful Path to a Nonviolent World. You can find out more about Scott and his work. Follow this um, this tour and all the things to come at 4activepeace.com. That's the number 4activepeace.com. And of course, karenhager.com is where you can connect up with me and find out more about what I'm up to. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.